0: Good morning, Watermark Plano. (laughs) Um, My name is Grant, and I have a new life in Christ. I'm a believer that struggles with pride, control, people-pleasing, and drivenness, all amplified when I struggle to trust the Lord. My regen people. I also have a struggle because I wrote my notes when I had my glasses on, and in the in the first in the first service I was too prideful to wear my glasses, so I ran completely off script. <laughs> and so these guys over here said, "Hey, dude, you're old. Own it." So I'm owning it. <laughs> so I, I recently had the opportunity to go through Regen and. Uh, Regen is what we call our 12-step recovery process, which is really unfortunate because that byline does not tell the full story. Uh, Regen is a deep dive into the gospel of Christ. It's also a deep dive into uh, your story, your brokenness, your hurts, habits, and ups, where you've been hurt, where you have hurt others. And it's also a... A process that God teaches through the regen curriculum on how to lead a regenerated life, one that is quick to confess, quick to forgive, and eager to tell. Carol and I have been around Watermark for the better part of two decades, and uh, so we know the regen process. Uh, I've mentored people through it. You know, we were around the guys that that created the curriculum. And and so it can get a little uh, blasé a little bit. But the reason, and I always knew that Regen, going through Regen and submitting to the process would help me. There was never a doubt. Um, I just didn't want to do it for two main reasons. One is I am filled with pride and being a supposed leader around here, you know, I don't want to show up and you know, why are you here? You know, um, what cratered in your life, you know? Uh, and then second of all, um, I, I just always don't have time. Uh, it's, it's, such an easy excuse. You know, it, 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 you know, when I talk out the other side of my mouth, when people say, I don't have time to get into God's word every day. um, you know, I look at them and I go, "Of course you do. You you don't. You can't manage time. It's a constant." Hey, my engineer buddies, uh, if there's sixty minutes in every hour for all of us, right? Hey, you manage your priorities, and so if you want to know what's keeping you out of God's word, you just look at your calendar. And and I got to face that with my own desire to gain ground in my walk with the Lord, but my unwillingness to prioritize the time on Tuesday nights. And uh, and so friends got around me, and we'll just put this in quotes, they urged me <laughs> to uh, to take the time. I love my friends because they love me enough to tell me, hey, you'll benefit, you agree that you'll benefit, when are you going to prioritize it? And then... You have to make time. The greatest motivation for me is not being made to. If you know anything about me, my control issues, you don't want to make me do anything, right? Um, but I saw some incredible life change in other people. I saw Brian Puchek, who's one of our elders, go through Regen and just benefit. And I'm like, I want some of that. I saw Kyle Kegler, our campus pastor, who happens to be a buddy of mine for the last 40 years. I've got pictures uh, if you need them. Um, he benefited greatly going through Regen. And then I watched my wife, who's been my wife for 35 years. I know her really well, and I love her. But And, and she parents so well. Um, she loves me so well. But I watched her model the gospel to her two youngest daughters, who are 20 and 24, as she took the three of us down to Austin and made amends with her father, who she hadn't hung out with for 50 years. And she modeled forgiveness, humility, and the gospel like crazy. And I'm looking at those, just those three and so many more, and I'm saying, I want some of that. I want some of that. After going through Regen, um, I, I got all the anticipated benefits. I, I'd been around it long enough to where I knew, okay, God's going to do that. Oh, don't like it, but I'm going to go through it. Um, And, and I guess I got through all of that and it was so good just showing up. I just want you to know, um, and and submitting to the process was so good for my pride. Um, it it just, you feel like that was a fork in my pride. Let's do this. And I had people around me encouraging, Hey, submit to the process, hang in there and, and, and wait for, see what God does with it. Um, you know, it, it uh, going through my history and my brokenness highlighted patterns in me that I was going. Oh, that's why I'm tempted in these areas, or that's why th- this is my area where I where I amp up, or oh, I I look like my dad or and i didn 't I didn't like that in him, and I need to make sure that i that I hang around others who can help me walk through that area. but the biggest surprise or one of the biggest surprises in Regen was a little different, and that is um, I, I, those of you don 't know me, I grew up in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and' the beaches surrounded my mountains or vice versa and uh, and And it is spectacular, but when you grow up in the city, you don't really think how beautiful it is. you're just kind of hanging around it and then a tourist comes into town or family comes into town and and you take them through that that beauty and you real you look through their eyes and you go, "Oh my gosh it's breathtaking it's beautiful and uh and and the reverse or the same thing, but backwards, happened when I went through my inventory. I, your inventory is just a list of your history of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and I put it down on a detailed spreadsheet. I'm a bean counter, so it's got to be detailed. And uh, and and I and I looked at it through the eyes of the four or five guys that I had in the room when I was confessing my sin and it was ugly it was so ugly it's it it just it made me appreciate what jesus has done for me so much more because i had been blasé about my brokenness or thinking well i'm not like that guy who you know i don't struggle with that or whatever i had become cold To other people around me. And years ago when I took that spiritual gifts test. And I scored low on mercy. I'd blamed that or thought or attributed my lack of mercy. To my creator's lack of giving me mercy. And the reality of it is. It was just a stone cold pride. And arrogance. And a lack of appreciation of how broken I am. And so I looked at that and God just said, look, you know, um, that's why you're not loving towards other people. And so if you're here this morning and and I have shown coldness where I should have been more warm or compassionate towards you, would you forgive me? That's not the man I want to be. I want to be the guy that shows grace because of the grace that I've been shown. I learned a process in Regen. I relearned a process in Regen which is so valuable where I can live a regenerated life every day. Where I can own my stuff, where I can learn to to love others with a love That I've been loved. My name is Grant, and I have a new life in Christ. And I am grateful, so grateful, that His mercies are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. Here's my buddy Jeff.
1: Well, Welcome, my name's Jeff, and I have a new life in Christ, and I am uh, recovering from gambling, fear of man, and envy. Yeah. Y'all are getting good at it. Uh, man, welcome to Regeneration. Uh, we are, we're doing it this morning, and uh, if, you're, if you're unaware with, about what Regeneration is, Grant just did a great job unpacking it, but just to remind ourselves, Regeneration is, is what we call here a 12-step discipleship program. And these aren't just 12 steps that man has made up. This is 12 steps that we find in God's word. It's a, the process that, that uh, Grant's talking about. is just stuff that we see in God's word on this is what a faithful life looks like. And so that's regeneration. We'll unpack it a little bit more today. But before we get any further, I want to make sure you didn't miss what just happened here. Is that a leader in the church, one of your campus shepherds just stood up in front of you. And said, I had junk in my life that I had to work on. And not only that, he did something about it. He showed up at the so-called recovery ministry and began to work on himself. And as he did that over the last year, he began to recognize, oh my gosh, there's a mis- a, a misunderstanding of how deep the gospel is that's in my heart. I, I, I've missed how much mercy has been extended to me and, and his, his depth that he began to understand grew and grew so much so that he recognized that it, it had affected how he shepherded and cared for some of us. And so what does he do? He, he, during this last year, looked at people in the eyes and said, will you forgive me for the instance where I was cold to you? And now he stands up before you today and going, hey, there's probably some instances I missed. And if I did, will you be so kind to come to me so that I can even be more specific in my forgiveness? Don't miss that, that a leader got up and shared that. That's not something, unfortunately, that you see in most churches today. A lot of times what you see when it comes to the recovery ministry is there's almost like this kind of hush-hush. We're looking around and going... You kind of ask if there's a little place for where you can go to recover from a certain area and someone kind of grabs you by the shoulder going, hey, come over here. Hey, shh, shh, let's, let's lower our voices. Hey, hey, that yeah, there is something. Look around. It's Tuesday nights, 6.30. Park in the north parking lot. There's a light that's kind of knocked out. by The light's just not working. Park under there so no one can see you. Go to the door. There's no windows. It's barred. Knock five times, and someone will let you in. That's not what we do here. This isn't some ministry that you have to be ashamed that you walk into. This is a ministry where our leaders show up at it. 100% of your senior leadership has gone through regeneration. 75% of your campus shepherds have walked through this path. 70% of your Watermark staff here at Plano has gone this. We are modeling for you that this is a great way to come and be discipled in the gospel. And I'm going to just put a little stone in our shoe as we start the, the, this morning, is that I, I want 100% of our membership here to go through regeneration. If you are a guest today, I want 100% of you all to come to regeneration on Tuesday nights. And so much so that specifically if, if, if you're a member here and you have not gone through regeneration or somebody in your community group has not gone through regeneration, what you are telling us is that the reason you haven't or someone else in your community group has not gone through regeneration is because you're already living out the 12 steps, the, the principles of biblical discipleship and recovery and full devotion. You're already living those out not in a perfect way, but in such a consistent way that it encourages everyone in your group and everyone around you. That's what you're attesting to if you're one that hasn't gone through. And as we begin to unpack what all regeneration means, I want you to be viewing it through that lens because at the end of the day, this is not a message about you understanding what the ministry regeneration is. I think we fail to understand what regeneration is because we don't fully understand what the gospel is. And so we're going to unpack that this morning, just ways that we've misunderstood it. you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and one of the most quoted passages on a Tuesday night. It's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 17 of chapter 5, the second letter, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ he's forgiven us and now he's also given us this ministry of reconciliation we're supposed to imitate how we've been forgiven we're supposed to extend that to other people namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them he has committed us to us this word and then in verse 20 therefore Even more, we are to be ambassadors for Christ as though God were making appeal through us. And so we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There is an incredible amount of gospel material here. And for some of you, the gospel, which just means good news, is this idea of salvation, that that Jesus lived a perfect life that that you couldn't live. And he died for your sins as a sacrifice on the cross. And that if you would... um, Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that this is what Jesus was doing, that he was raised from the grave. You shall be saved. Yes, the gospel is about salvation. Don't miss that. This is what Paul's talking about there. The old things have passed away. I've died for them. But the gospel's also about the new things that are supposed to attend your soul. It's this word that we're gonna unpack today called sanctification. It's right there, still in verse 17. The gospel is about the new things that are supposed to come in. And then in verse 18, the gospel is also about reconciliation. We're supposed to live lives of reconciliation when we misunderstand that. We try to do our best to avoid our past. No, God's saying, go and deal with your past. And then in verse 20, what you're supposed to be, we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. We're supposed to be about regeneration. We're supposed to be about uh, renewing and restoring both the old things and, and, and moving forward and how we use that faithfulness, use our story to help build up new things, lead other people to understand the same truths that we have. This is the gospel. These are, it's a multifaceted, rich thing, and I want us to grow our appreciation for it. And as we begin to grow, if you realize, man, I, I, that I don't, that portion of the gospel I don't live out, come on Tuesday nights. We'd love to introduce you to all aspects of it. It does start. The gospel does start in the place of if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature, the old things have passed away. We're going to spend a little bit of time here in Romans six, and one of the things that's happening in Romans up until that moment is Romans one through three. Paul is clearly declaring all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous, not even one in here. And we are in need of the salvation that that the Lord has offered through his perfect sacrifice, through his perfect son, Jesus. And I meet people all the time that um, just in in any sort of meetings that uh, that are just... um, Holding on to something, carrying a lie, struggling with an addiction. Maybe they're just wrestling with the worries of this world and they're just racked by anxiety or um, control or any of the other things that we've already talked about this morning. And, and they're so ashamed and they're so kind of hunched over and curled up and, and ashamed to admit what's happening. And I just have to get eye contact with them in some form or fashion and just go, hey, me too. It's one of the other most quoted passages on Tuesday night is Titus 3, verse 3, that just goes, hey, me too. I've been foolish as well. I've been enslaved. I've been disobedient. I've been led astray by many lusts and pleasures. I've spent my days in malice and envy towards other people. I've been hated by others, and I've hated one another. Me too. And you need to know something. On Tuesday nights or any other, we don't meet you with pitchforks. We, we meet you with patience. Because we know where you've been. We've been there ourselves. And it's verse four, It's but, but then the kindness of God appears, and that's what we're trying to just point you to, is that there is a kind, loving God that wants something better for your life than some of the junk that you've tried to find life in. And so it's absolutely, we're going to talk about salvation that God offers. We're going to talk about Romans 5, 8 and how he demonstrates his love for you, that why you are still even in the place that you currently are. He loves you. He died for you. Sent his son to do so. This is the message that we're going to see. And so if you're not yet a believer, please come. On Tuesday nights, we'd love to engage you with the gospel. We'll answer whatever questions you have. We'll spend as much time as you need, so much so that the first three steps, which are about salvation, it's about admit, believe, and trust, those are the first three steps. We're gonna spend um, so long with you until you get to a place that you go, yes, I now believe in what Christ did for me. We're not about your behavior modification. We want to introduce you to Jesus. Our goal isn't to just sober you up we want to introduce you to heaven and how heaven can be lived out and tasted and enjoyed here, the abundant life that he is. And so what um, Paul just rests, as he's kind of working through Romans 1 through 5, there was this, uh, it, it's almost kind of natural to kind of go, wait, you're saying that Jesus has died for my sins and and if I just... Confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that he rose again, that I'm just free of those things. So that's amazing. I can't wait to spend eternity in him. And so the question then becomes, what do I do until then? Do I just kind of keep living in my sin? Do I, can I just keep enjoying that? And Paul's going to answer and ask the question for us. He says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that, may, so that grace may increase? May it never be, he says, how should we who died to sin still live in it? And so he's going to begin to talk to us about this big, fancy word called sanctification. And here's what I just here's all I want to tell you about sanctification. It's about putting things to death. That's another big word called mortification. We're going to put those things to death. Any sin that's in our life that is ultimately leading to death, we've got to do something with this. We've got to kill it. We've got to fight with the same vigor that it's fighting us with. And we've got to put it to death. And in its place, another big word, let me take the mystery out of it, vivification. We're supposed to put in its place things that bring life. That's what we do on Tuesday nights. We're going to put things to death by confessing it, by sharing with one another, by coming up with ways that we can combat it when it shows up in our life. And we're going to replace it with daily abiding in God's word. That we are going to confess it. That's one of the things that brings life. We're going to do that in a community of people. I know that's scary. I'm not asking you to do it the first time you show up. But confessing it to one another begins to produce life. And then we just talk about it. Well, now what do you do? You share your story. These are all things that begin to bring life in it. And the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that desires to sanctify you. The gospel is opposed to earning. You can't earn your salvation, but the gospel is not opposed to effort once you've received it. In fact, it demands effort. It's why Paul, in most of his letters, go, I urge you to live a manner worthy of the gospel that you've been given. We are to... Put things to death, and in its place, we're supposed to bring it back to life. This is all over your Bible. Let me just remind you just some of the places that this is in your Bible. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. Put it to death, but more importantly, pursue faith, love, peace, righteousness, along with those who call on the Lord from a sincere sincere heart. He says almost the same thing in 1 Timothy 6.11. It says flee these things. Flee false teaching, flee false living and pursue godliness and gentleness and some of the things he mentions in 2 Timothy this is again stuff Titus 2:12 deny ungodliness worldly desires put it to death but live sensibly righteously godly in the present age 1 Peter 2 abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against you and do what wage war back Because sin is a cruel, cruel master, and it leads to death every time. I just want to read a passage from Mark. It's about the Gerencene demoniac. And I want you to remember that the Gerencene demoniac, before he gained that label, so to speak, from man, I want you to recognize that this was a human being that was created in God's image. And I want you to see what the enemy does to him. It says this in verse 2 of Mark 5. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs, this is the demoniac, with an unclean spirit met him, and he had been dwelling among the tombs, isolated in the place of the dead. And no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often... Been bound with shackles and chains, and he just, the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue this man. What a picture of the pain he was in constantly, night and day. He was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones, and the enemy just doesn't care if that's where sin takes you. This week, I sat with marriages that were. On the brink of divorce, and in various stages of brokenness because of what sin had been doing within it, I, I sat with multiple, multiple parents whose kids are not even sure they want to be alive anymore. And then, I and, and one day I, I I was in a courtroom for eight hours, and I had to listen to and be reminded of some of the uh, worst exploitation of any kind. And I just was. Like, Lord, teach me to hate sin. Not just hate my consequences. We love to hate our consequences more than our sin. Our consequences, if you get down to it, our consequences that come into our life is it's the loving chastening of a faithful father that puts consequences in our life. I hear people all the time that are like, I hate covenant eyes. It's a broken browser on my phone. And I'm like, learn to hate the sin that put the browser on your phone in the first place. And be grateful that there's even a browser out there that can begin to help you through. It is a loving gift from God that you've been chasing in such a way. Hate the sin that led you to that moment. Don't just hate the consequences. We love to grumble about those. God's trying to discipline us. He's trying to teach us to hate it. Paul goes on to just keep writing and just listen to the rest of the Just the admonitions. I read individual verses, but chapter 6 of Romans, it's this beautiful picture of being sanctified. He's going to talk about death 16 times. He's going to talk about life 10 times. It just says in verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And I'm going to bounce around a little bit Here. And so, so why do we do this? So that we might walk in newness of life. That's the things that bring life. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old self has been crucified, done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he's died, has freed us from that. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So now consider this, yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Put it to death, he says. Why? Verse 20, first of all, remember that when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to this righteousness. Therefore, and, and, and think about this, friends. What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed of? It led to death, scripture says, and you know it. And it's okay, we meet you with patience, not pitchforks. We're not mad at you, God isn't either. It says, but now you having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive the benefit resulting in sanctification. The outcome is eternal life. And, and really that's, sanctification is just going, hey, here's what eternal life is. It's not just life, um, it's not just quantity of life some point in the, in the future. It's quantity and quality of life that even can begin now. It's an abundant life that God's wanting us to desire, where we are increasingly freed from the power of sin in our lives. And this is your gospel. I'll just tell you again, I'm not just interested in your sobriety. I don't just want to be in a room full of people where the best thing that you can say about us is, well, at least they're not looking at porn, or at least they don't struggle with anxiety or control. That's not the goal. The goal is to not have a barren garden where nothing grows, not even weeds. That's not what made the Garden of Eden Eden, beautiful. What made the Garden of Eden beautiful was the life that was in there, not the death that was not there. And so it's not just your sobriety. We long for your sanctification. We purpose for that. end. if you're struggling in this area, in any area where you're not increasingly becoming more like Christ, come on Tuesday nights. We'd love to walk with you. We're doing it ourselves. I'm on my 250th night of regeneration. (laughs) And I still need it. I need to be reminded. The gospel is also a gospel of reconciliation. It's, it's It's a gospel of being forgiven and forgiven. And we too model this in our own lives. This is the step seven through nine. This is book three In the regeneration process where we say it's follow, forgiveness, and amends. And I'll just tell you this, that God rescued us from our past, not so that we could run away from it, so that we could run back to it. It's that verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us. Now we are to be imitators of that same reconciliation, that same forgiveness, and it's all over your Bible. My favorite instance of it is uh, in Luke 19. It's a guy named Zacchaeus who, Scripture tells us, was a tax collector. And here's just briefly who tax collectors were. Tax collectors were uh, a bunch of um, Jewish men who uh, were employed by Rome, uh, who was the big bad enemy of the Jews at the time. And they were employed by Rome to tax the Jewish citizens. So they taxed their own brothers and sisters. And then they would send some of that money on back to Rome. This was not a beloved class of citizens. Still, there were certain tax collectors that went beyond what even Rome was permitting. And they would begin to extort their own people. They would betray their own nation by taking more money out of their pockets. They would charge them a heftier tax. They would prey on the weak Pocket that money and send a little bit on to Rome. This was not a beloved co- class of citizens. That's, that's Zacchaeus's occupation. And it says here in verse 1 of Luke 19, it says, When Jesus entered Jericho, that's a region of Palestine. I'll come back to that. He was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, which is just Luke's way of saying he extorted his brothers and sisters. He was a thief. He betrayed his own nation. It's his kind way of frankly labeling him. If you feel like you have a label on yourself, do it. Imitate Zacchaeus in verse 3. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Man, come on Tuesday night. We just want to introduce you to Jesus. Again, we'll meet you with patience, not pitchforks. We believe that Jesus can change anyone in any way at any moment. He's about to change Zacchaeus. In every way, at this particular moment. He was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Again, imitate Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus did whatever he could to go see Jesus. He ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. Come on Tuesday nights, if that's what it takes, come on. For um, Jesus was about to pass through that way. And then when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Hey, tax collector. Hey, thief. Hey, betrayer. Is that what the Word of God says? No. I don't know what voice you hear in your head. I don't know what label you think of that you think God calls you by. But don't attribute to Satan. Don't attribute to God what's true of Satan. Satan's the great accuser, not God. Satan knows your name, and he calls you by your sin. That's not God. God knows your sin, and he calls you by name. He's like Zacchaeus. Hurry. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. And, and Zacchaeus, he's beginning to get that new life in Christ. He hurried, came down, and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. People just grumble at that stuff. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. He's going to go back, listen to this, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Zacchaeus is not going to run. He's like, okay, I've been free, so now let me just go live somewhere else. No, he's going to go back to the same people that he extorted and reconcile himself. Seek forgiveness, make amends, look people in the eyes and say, will you forgive me? Here's what I did. And you have to imagine, there's some pretty difficult conversations that lay ahead for Zacchaeus. And yet he went back. I'm not going to unpack my story this morning. If you want to hear more about my life, I've got labels you can throw at me. um, And they'd be right. You can search my name on Watermark Resources and get more of my story. But when I confessed five years ago, the best advice that I got was from um, a friend named Braun. And he just looked at me after I confessed and a day later and just said, Hey, Jeff, here's what I want you to do. Don't run. Don't flee. Everything in you is going to want to do it, but don't. It will bless you to get well in front of the people that you've wounded. And it will bless us to watch you get well here and see the gospel transform your life. Don't run. i just tell you in that moment, I I wanted to run. A week later, I wanted to run. A month later, I was convinced I was going to run. And yet, bronze words just sat in my head. Don't do it. Don't run. Don't run. And what a gift it's been to me. As I've been able to watch the gospel just in, unfold in front of me, as I've watched people forgive me and extend me grace, and I'm like, oh my goodness, my appreciation for the gospel has grown deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a picture of mercy. Don't run. God's people are people of reconciliation, and it's all over your Bible. And if you don't believe me, let me just show you. It's Genesis 33. Jacob, who um, had a pretty awkward encounter with his brother Esau, right? What does God do? Jacob's future went back through his brother in Genesis 33. Before the nation of Israel was ever going to begin to flourish, it took Joseph Reconciling with his brothers and them being reunited. Go read Genesis 42 through 46. Exodus 2 through 4. What did Moses want to do? He wanted to get as far away from Egypt as possible. When it came time to deliver his own people, God sends Moses back. It's the story of the Israelites and Ezra and Nehemiah. God chastened them. They hated the consequence at first more than the sin itself, but as God began to change them, In lands far away, God was like, now don't just run out from here and build in a new land. I want you to go back. Let's go back and rebuild what once was. That's what my people do. You see it in the New Testament. It's all over your Bible. Matthew, his whole gospel, he too, like Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And what does he do? God, the Holy Spirit has him pin a gospel account to the same people that he betrayed. He wrote his gospel to a Jewish audience. Mark 5, the Gerencene demoniac, he goes back to the Decapolis. The prodigal son returns home, the Samaritan woman who's trying to avoid the people. That's why she goes to the well at a weird time. She meets Christ, her life is changed, and she goes running back to her town. Let's just read for a second how that, let's go back to the Gerencene demoniac. and I just want you to read how it ends. Verse 18, Mark 5, it says this, that he was getting into the boat, this is Jesus, and the man, our friend, the Gerencene demoniac who has been demon-possessed, was imploring him that he might accompany him. He's like, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done, how much mercy he's had on you sanctification starts to take place in his heart. He becomes more and more like Jesus. He went away. He obeys Jesus and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Why would Jesus do this? Because you're sitting there and you're looking at the man and y'all are, you're all in a meeting and you're going, wait, that's the, that's the guy that was in the hills living in the tombs? That's the guy that kept me awake at night screaming? I see him. Gash marks on his arm, and you're telling me now he's in his right mind? Oh, what? Hey, friend, what happened to you? I met Jesus. It's changed everything. God's men, God's women, they go back. If if, if you're running from somebody, some situation, some relationship, some job thing, Some church. I'm just going to tell you, um, you're not living out the gospel. And in fact, you discredit it by how you're living. That's just me gently telling you the gospel is about full-on reconciliation. Now look, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Reconciliation does take two parties, and you're not responsible for how the second party responds. But you are responsible for how you respond. And I don't know why... Um, I said this in the first hour. I'm going to say it again here. There may be some of you in here that are fleeing um, a a church in the area that is largely God-honoring. And you're running here trying to get away from a situation instead of being faithful where God already had you. And I'm just going to tell you the most faithful thing that you can do is leave this service and go back to the church that you came from and begin to reconcile there. Speak truth. Seek forgiveness if you need to own something. Just Graciously point something out that that church needs to own. Live out the gospel. Don't run from it. And I say that to benefit you. I say that to benefit wherever you run. And and, and, and let's be honest. One day this church, if we haven't already today, is going to disappoint you. And we call our people to use this conflict as an opportunity to be reconciled with one another. Because it's what glorifies God. It reminds us he's reconciled us to him. And so Vertically, that relationship's taken care of. Now we need to be reconciled horizontally with one another. That's what we do. And as kindly as I say, if, if there's brokenness in you, if you hear about this in your community groups, those lives betray knowledge, betray your knowledge of the gospel. We go and reconcile so far as it depends on us. That's the gospel. And then the gospel says that once you've uh, Once you've found freedom in Christ today, once you've obediently dealt with people in the past, your sin of the past, you then get ready for the future. That's why Paul says to the Corinth church, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Peter says, we're a kingdom of priests, all of us. Paul's basically saying here, Your life should be marked by transformation, and lives around you should be marked by transformation. If you uh, can't point out, if you can't think of a single story that has happened near and around you, maybe in your community group, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your family, maybe in your job, where you just go, man, I've seen God's hand at work, and he's used me as a part of that process, that should concern you, that you're not living out the gospel The gospel is this ministry that's supposed to bring life to other people. There should be life happening around you. Regeneration should be taking place. It's why in book four we're talking about keep going, continue. Produce a greater intimacy with God so that you can be ready to to be a part of the regeneration that God intends to, to do anywhere in this land. I just want you to read. I want you to read Isaiah 61 with me and I want you to ask yourself, is this true in my own life? Isaiah 61 is a great messianic prophecy about who Jesus would be and so you can appreciate that about Jesus as well. This is the gospel as Jesus has done with us, but we are to imitate Jesus. So this passage should also be true of us. It will be imperfect in us, but this should be something that marks our lives. It says this in verse one of Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. God has put afflicted in ones in your life so that you could go comfort them. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. If you don't know how to do that, come on Tuesday nights. We'd love to disciple you, how you can share your story in five seconds with the region intro, in 15 seconds, in 30 seconds, give you a three-minute story, a 10-minute story. We want to help you do just this if you don't know how. You're to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, give them a a garland instead of ashes. Uh, Your your translation might say, in that place, beauty instead of ashes. Just that reminder of the goal is to not just avoid ashes or rubble in your life. Your goal is is to allow Christ to turn you into something beautiful. Why? So you can get the glory? No. You will be called an oak of righteousness, but the planting of it will be clearly the Lord. So that he will get the glory. Just like the Gerencene demoniac, people would go, but wait, you were the, and now you're the, what happened? Teed up, ready to go. And what do you do? You go back. There they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Not build new ones, rebuild. They will raise up former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. You're going to go back. You're going to repair relationships, just like Carol, as Grant was talking about it, went back to a relationship that had 50 years of brokenness. She goes back, owns her small percentage of the brokenness, and it modeled the gospel for all that were there. You'll even stem the tide of the pain of maybe previous generations in your family. You, not just staff, not just Certain people, you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as a minister of God. And instead of the shame that you deserve, that your your old life deserved, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, there will be a shout of joy. Everlasting joy will be yours. Is this stuff mark your life? There's no such thing as a boring testimony. I hear it all the time. I, people are like, well, I just, I don't have... I don't have a a cool testimony. I, I, I don't, and sometimes they'll use me as an example. They'll just go, Jeff, your story's just so cool. And I'm like, there's nothing. Let me just tell you what makes a good testimony has nothing to do with how dead the deadness looked. What makes for a great testimony is how alive you are. That's what makes a great testimony. We've all been delivered, and it's always a great story how you've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's always a great story. And I think what sometimes you mean when you say I have a boring testimony is I think sometimes you mean I don't, I'm not alive, and so I don't have any well from which to speak from. If that's you, patience, not pitchforks, come on Tuesday. We want to teach you what it looks like to be alive, not dead. I heard a pastor recently say, um, I want Satan to be mad that I exist. Isn't that a great line? I want that when I wake up in the morning that Satan is mad that I'm awake, that i got breath in my lungs and wants to jack with me. Because that means I'm about doing the business that the Lord has me here, that I must be alive and that's why Satan wants to come after me. I noticed that Satan never cared when I was dead. He just leave me in that spot. If you don't feel the target on your back sometimes, that the enemy's coming after you because you are doing good work, not to earn your salvation, but because you are living in a manner worthy of the gospel that you've been given, come on Tuesday nights. We'll teach you what it looks like to live that life. And it's a little scary, I'll be honest, but we'll help you get over that fear. It's what we do. He doesn't just rescue us from the miry clay. He puts new songs in our heart. The planting of which, the singing of which is the Lord. Its beauty from ashes. That should be your testimony. There's times that um, I I read God's word. I was sharing this with some friends on on Tuesday night. That um, there's some stories in God's word that I'm like, I want to know how that ends. You ever read those like? Like even this Mark 5, the Gerencene demoniac, I'm like, tell me about the rest of his life. I could take a thousand pages just on that. The Samaritan woman, I want to hear about how her little area, her city was changed because Jesus had changed her. I, I think that happened. I'm guessing, but I think it. One day I'll get to hear the story, but I kind of wish I had several hundred pages. On that, I want to know what it looked like, what the prodigal son's life looked like after. I hear about the feast that celebrated his coming home. I want to know what his life looked like after that. And then I think about, that should be, we should know the ending to those stories. When we look at our own lives and when we look at the lives that are around us, we should know what it looks like for those people, how they clinged to the Father, how they told others about his love. We should see about all the things that they put in their life that was clear that not only had they killed off sin, but they were, that new things were planting. We should see how they become Psalm 1 trees, Isaiah 61 oaks of righteousness. We should see that and we should see it in our own lives and we go, yeah, that's probably what happened. If you're not writing any pages in those chapters, come on Tuesday night. We would love to care for you and point you in the next way. There's Our friend Zacchaeus, we, we don't know from Luke 19 how his story ends, but with the help of church tradition, with the help of several outside resources, we, we have a pretty good sense of how his life ended. Church tradition holds that Zacchaeus was a, uh, became bishop, became the spiritual leader in Palestine where Jericho exists. Can you imagine that? The same guy that was once a thief, once a betrayer, once an extorter, once a tax collector, became the spiritual leader of that place. Here's what I think happened. I think as Zacchaeus went back, and began to own his junk in front of the other people as he tasted the full goodness of the gospel and began to look people in the eye, just going, hey, will you forgive me for what I've done? In fact, not only that, I want to make amends for what I've done. Here's four times what I've taken from you. Will you please forgive me? And as people sat with him as, and just said, well, Zacchaeus, what in the world has happened? Zacchaeus is like, I met Jesus and it's changed everything. Life transformation began to happen all around Zacchaeus, and it wasn't just one. It became two, then it became 10, it became 20, so much so that by the time it came time to figure out who was going to lead the people spiritually, the people just go, hey, the guy that's already been leading us spiritually, Zacchaeus. That's the gospel, all facets of it. Salvation, sanctification, reconciliation, regeneration, rebuild the lands that God already has you in If coming to Regeneration on Tuesday night helps you with that, we want to serve you in that way. But that's the grand call in our life. And so let me pray that we would grow in all facets of what the gospel calls us to. Lord, thank you for how you've rescued us, that there was nothing good in us, there was nothing lovely in us, and you rescued us because you loved us. You came for us. There was nothing we could do to earn it, and so thank you. But will you remind us that your grace, which saved us, desires us to continue to grow like your son, Jesus, so that we don't experience the death that we can still experience if we try to find life apart from you? And we're so prone to want to find life apart from you. Will you help us? And Lord, we acknowledge just corporately that it's scary to go back to old relationships, some of which are five decades old of brokenness. But will you help us? Will you give us the strength? Will you remind us that we don't have to go alone? And will you help us to be people that uh, are about renewal, restoration, regeneration in the lives of others and in the old places that we once were? Will you use us as vessels? That's gonna take a work of you doing our flesh is scared In our flesh we're a bunch of ashes, we're a bunch of brokenness, but you are the God that brings beauty out of us, and so will you help us submit to the beauty that you can bring? Lord, help us to not miss out on anything that you intend in our lives so that we could drink deeply from the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.